Hi everyone, Frank Forza. I'm here with my good friend Claude Abrams on the other side of the world. He is in the UK. He runs a gym called Intelligent Strength. He, he and I have a lot in common. We're both, I am predominantly plant-based. I believe that Claude is exclusively plant-based. We'll get more from him on that. We both have a background as journalists, specifically uh, heavily involved in the fight game boxing and in my case MMA UFC um, and so he's a very smart guy and one thing that I like about highlighting someone like Claude Claude's a very smart guy very conscientious comes from a good place and I always think uh, Claude we spend a lot of time looking in the media at these faraway people and we think that they're so smart and that they're better than us and that they know everything and a lot of times in our own communities Right in our own zip codes, we have all kinds of smart people that that teach us any number of things, and that's the one thing I love. So I've always I've said, no matter right now, I don't have many followers on social media or my website or my blog. But if I ever did, I, I want to make sure that I always have like these little these underestimated humble giants like you that are in our communities, in our zip codes. They don't get the credit, they don't get the fame but they're very, very smart and they come from a good place. So without further ado, it's a pleasure. Claude, thank you for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for the, um, the very flattering intro. So jumping in, I want to give the, the, the listeners an idea. We're going to talk today a lot about sort of the plant-based. We're going to talk about the shift, the paradigm shift where you go from, aha, I'm paying more attention to the food. I just want to give them an overview. So we're going to talk about that shift, the things that go on in someone's brain, because a lot of people just look at people like you or me and say, well, they're just quacks. They're just crazy. They're extreme. And they don't understand that this is not something we wanted to choose. Something went, some light bulb went off in the brain and then it was never the same again. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your arc, a little bit about sort of the biography of a Claude so that I, I want people to understand that we're, a lot of times we're not different than them. We're not trying to be contrarians. We're not trying to be different. We are regular, normal people. Something happens. We start reading. We start researching. We start watching documentaries. We have aha moments. We start asking more questions. So I want to go through the arc. I want to go through the paradigm shift in the brain. I want, to, I want you to talk because I think anybody out there, whether or not they're vegan or they're vegetarian or they're predominantly plant-based, there is definitely, I believe, we can learn a lot from each other. They can just take what they want. They can take the seeds that they want, that they're ready for. I want to talk about some of the things that you eat. I want to talk about the assumption that, oh, eating that plant-based, vegan, vegetarian stuff sucks, that the eating just sucks and food's going to taste crappy. Um, and I want to talk also about what's going on in the world now because what's going on in the, in the world now with the viruses and maybe what impact where you and I see that going? What does that mean for sustainable food, for the food supply, for plant-based, for healthy living? I want to talk about that. So, so let, let's dive in, I guess. The first place would be, when did the biggest paradigm shift come where you start, you know, what were you eating? You haven't been a vegetarian your whole life, or I, I guess, right, right, Claude? questioned it for the first 35 or so years of my life. In fact, I remember sitting next to a vegetarian once, going back over 20 years ago, 
and I sat next to this, and vegetarians weren't that, you know, it was, it was hard to come across a vegetarian back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were sitting down, eating dinner, and she said, I'm vegetarian. I said, I could never be a vegetarian. I remember saying it to her, I could never be a vegetarian. And like you said, you have those aha moments and things change. You can never say never to anything. I'm always, I'm very experimental. So I'm always very open to, and, and my, 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 my way of thinking is, how can I optimize everything? That's how I think. So I explore, you know, when I, when I was training or when I was a journalist, it was always about how can I be better at what I'm doing? And so I study people who are better than me and I study things that can help, him, help me to improve and go to the next level. And I think that's what took me in the direction of veganism, plant-based diet. Some people say to me, well, how did you become a vegan? And, and I can't even... Um, identify the moment but I can recall there was a there was a girl I knew who was in Germany and I got chatting to her and she said and she said to me oh I'm vegetarian and I thought what's that about and I just started reading and the science made a lot of sense to me so then a few weeks later I was talking to her I said oh you know what I'm giving vegetarian a try and I carried on doing that and then I I ended up exploring uh, veganism, raw veganism, and I literally, within a very short period, went from eating a a meat a meat and a meat and veg diet to raw vegan mm-hmm. because the science that I was reading made sense to me, and I thought, well, why why mess around transitioning when I know where I want to get to? So I just jumped straight in. And that was a mistake because it was too harsh a transition for my body to take. So then I had to do a lot of backtracking. I had to reintroduce eggs, reintroduce a bit of fish, and then my body started to stabilize. And then I started to, little by little, I, used to, I, I started to take elements of the, um, the meat diet out of my diet until I was left with a vegan diet, and I did. I did go back to being raw vegan for about a year, and then I started eating cooked foods again. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of similarities between us both with that optimiz- optimization mentality, and a true journalist mentality is to go where the truth leads you. I, I, I'm. It's unfortunate for me to say, from my perspective, I hate to be an armchair quarterback because there are a lot of you know, really good people in journalism, but I don't see as many people doing their job today as I would hope. It seems like that line between advertising and the newsroom is just way, way, way too cozy for my taste. And at the very least, it's just it's just having the the boldness, having the courage to ask the questions and see where and being open to where the truth goes. Not going in and thinking we know everything because you're right. I mean, for me for me, the shift happens, and and I see that a lot here in the States at least, where people get sick, right? Either a person gets sick or someone they love, their mom, their kid gets sick, and then they start researching, and then when conventional medicine doesn't have the answers, right? Conventional medicine isn't giving them the results. It's always a pill. It's always more of this. Then they're playing whack-a-mole where they, they, get, they get caught up in this system where they one problem gets plugged and then 10 more 
crop up and their and conventional medicine just doesn't have the solutions and so then they just sort of have to go off the beaten path to all that crazy nonsense and then weed through and this is not to say and I think I think Claude disagree, I think Claude agrees with me and that is that just because something is alternative does not mean that it works. You and I are both admitting, we're saying we don't know where the truth goes. It, some of the answers may be in conventional medicine and some of them are an alternative, but even under the alternative umbrella, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't bless and you wouldn't bless. So I don't walk in a supplement aisle and say, every supplement aisle here, every supplement in the grocery store works, let's just buy them, right? I mean, just, it's alternative, it's, it's different, it's, you know, no, I mean, it doesn't work that way, but for me, it was that someone that I loved, uh, my son, got really sick. And that was heartbreaking. And that was the moment where I started to stay up really late at night. And I was researching and researching and researching. And in the end, I mean, it, it took, um, I would say that, that after a, even a few months, it was like the world had been flipped on its head. Everything I had believed and all the confidence and the faith I had put in certain systems, right, certain conventional systems, I thought, oh my goodness, like everything I'm being told that I'm just taking hook, line, and sinker is not true. I mean, even things like the dairy and the meat, what's in your meat, what's really in your food, and then when you put it under a microscope and you start reading labels and you start to be realize how much money is spent on the lobbying and the marketing, and then you just be like, and, it, and it's sort of it flips everything on its head. It actually kind of messes with your mind at first, right? There's a transition that goes on there. And I like what you said because you said too, and this is, this is great for the listeners out there. People just say, well, I'm going to go more, you know, plant-based, whatever. Maybe they'll experiment with, with vegan or vegetarian and that you really have to know what you're doing. And you do want to phase in because your body, even if you're eating crap, I mean, drug addicts out there, their body is used to the drugs and it's just to pull them off can be devastating and, and just to pull somebody off of a, the sugar addictions and it's just there's so much mental attachment and everything to that that it's it's a lot wiser to do it I would say in general unless somebody is 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 in extreme health and they don't have a choice but it's it's a lot smarter and I think a lot more sustainable because you that's the reason some people don't succeed is because they go to gangbusters eventually the body fights them their energy levels or something aren't what they thought and they're not realizing that, hey, this is just part of a transition period. Much like when you first start working out, Claude, you, you run a gym there in the UK, Intelligent Strength. And a lot of times when people first start working out, since they're not used to it, they could be like, well, I'm tired all the time. What does that mean an exercise is bad for? Oh, I'm tired all the time. Well, you, your body has to acclimate to that, right? You can't just go, well, the gym must be really bad for me. Now I'm tired all the time. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's part of the problem. Not just with training, but also with with the um, the dietary changes. We we you and I know that our health has improved with a change of diet. I can't see how eating more fruits and vegetables can be bad for you. In fact, if you look at all the diets in the world, if there's one common denominator, and 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 lots even within the vegan world there's a lot of there's a lot of conflict between what's the best way to do it but if you look at all diets practically all diets the one thing they do have in common is they advocate eating more vegetables i don't know any diet which is health orientated that says 
don't eat vegetables. It's categorical. Yeah. But people don't eat vegetables. A lot of people don't eat vegetables. Even vegans. A lot of vegans don't eat a lot of vegetables. They'll, they'll eat the, the, the pseudo-vegan stuff. And I understand that stuff's important for transition. But if, if health is your goal, you've got to move, eventually you've got to move beyond that. Because again, you're, still eat, you're just eating for convenience, you're eating for taste. But really, food is about nourishing the body. And it's the nourishment from our food that helps us to perform at our highest level and to think at our highest level. Yeah, it's interesting because we have, I mean, I know, I think in the, in the States here, I've seen some studies that suggest that we, the average American consumes like 120 to 150 pounds of sugar uh, a year. And when you get so sugar addicted, then you can lose your appreciation for, say, something like vegetables, right? I mean, and you just lose your, it's like, by comparison, until you start to wean off that sugar, a regular apple, like an apple to me, I can appreciate the sweetness of that apple, right? I can appreciate it. If you're so sugar addicted and it's sugar, 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 and you eat a regular apple, you'd be like, yeah, that's not enjoyable, right? A, a normal person is not going to, a person who is sugar addicted on those processed sugars is not going to even appreciate the fruit in a blueberry, in a strawberry, in an apple, even in a mango. It, it's just not enough for them, right? Until they phase and yeah, they, it almost compromises the ability of your taste buds to yeah. do what they're designed to do. Yeah. And so that's so sort that's to me is sort of a form of being spoiled. To me, that's almost a form of where there's a balance there, and once you get too spoiled, then right, what's actually good for you doesn't do right. A spoiled person is like, hey, you have plenty. Can you see all you have? Right. It's a lack of gratitude. A spoiled person is like, can't you see? You have a great roof over your head. You have good food. You have people who will love you. You have nature, and a spoiled person is like nothing is ever enough, right? And when you're a sugar addict, no healthy food, whether it be the vegetables and even a lot of the fruits, is enough. It's like, no, that's not enough because we've sort of spoiled people with this imbalance of processed sugars. The other thing I wanted to, to say, you, you, you triggered this in my brain, is that it, you know, there's definitely a sugar addiction there. There's definitely people are eating overwhelmingly for taste because to me taste and performance have to have a balance it's it you and i we're going to get to that later we both are big you know we all want to eat delicious food that's sustainable but it's also a balance between taste and performance just taste is not like here and then you know 500 yards away is performance uh, uh, number two it, it, it's that to me they're they both need to be balanced i'm looking for a balance there and and the other big thing though and i think that this should resonate with a lot of people who want to eat healthier, who want to live healthier is, I would say, gosh, I mean, it's, it's almost like, I almost want to say the vast majority of food, at least here, if I walk the grocery aisles, it's just not real food. It's not what I would consider real food, right? And so a lot of people have become addicted and acclimated to food that's not even real. It's like, this is not even real food. And that artificial food and all those chemicals and all those toxins are having a conversation with the body with the immune system, um, and I think that that's when you start eating the fruit, the real fruits and vegetables, the odds of you eating real food closer to nature. I know some of it's been hybridized, right? You and I both know that some of those things have been hybridized, and and sometimes a lot of times hybridized to be sweeter. But nevertheless, we're still talking about a food that the body usually recognizes it doesn't freak out the immune system calls all the low-level inflammation we see in some of the glyphosates and other things and so 
part of the awakening for me has just been more vigilance with the labels. And is this real food? Why are there all these chemicals in there? And, and, and also, Claude, it's like we're just, people, including me most of my life, we're just going into grocery stores and blindly trusting what's, oh, it's on the shelf, it must be good for me. We just blindly trust the FDA and the USDA here regulate it, they legalized it, it's okay, it's everywhere, my neighbors eat it, my kids eat it, we all eat it, it's, there's, there's TV advertisements, it must be good for me, it must be okay. And there's this, 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 and so when you go into the real food thing, you say, oh, well, what, and, and Claude, this is the interesting thing. I think that real food would stump most people. I think most people, if you say, what is real food? I don't think the average person knows what is real. I, I know they know to eat more fruits and veggies, but I think if they were to read labels, they would make the assumptions that a lot of things are real food. That are not that I would not consider real food. I'd be like, that's not that's just not a real food. That's you know, artificial food. A lot of the time, real food doesn't even have a label. You're right. Yeah, you're right. That's a great, that's a great point. That is a great point. That takes that takes all the thinking out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> that's you're true. Right, and you're right. You're right about the blind trust. Absolutely right about that, and that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning about all these systems that we never question. And if, when you ask people about why do they think such and such is good for them, I don't think they don't question it. It's just that they've been told that that's the way it is. And then after they've been doing that for years and years and years, and you start to you start to challenge their way of thinking. Nobody really wants to be that person who's been doing the wrong thing for years and years and years and then has to turn back. It's like someone who's maybe devoted their whole life to a particular religion and then you provide them with evidence that, that there's no substance to that religion. Yeah. Do they want the thought of, I've just dedicated my whole life to that and, and now you're gonna prove that I've wasted all that time? So it becomes very difficult for people to make that, that deviation on the path they're on. Very, very difficult. Yeah, I see that with a lot of parents, a lot of my friends, where, you know, it, it's weird because if I go to their house, and, and so many of my friends are sweet people, but it's almost like some people feel, um, so, you know, um, if I go on a date or if I go to someone's house, sometimes they feel bad if I see what's in their cupboard, what they're feeding their kid. And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to be judgmental, right? I'm like, I'm not Mr. Perfect. I have tons of areas in my life which are flawed, where, where I work hard, where, which don't come easy. And it just so happens that in terms of living healthy and nutritious, that's been at the front. And a lot of people know that I have credibility on that. So if I come over to their house sometimes, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, don't let Frank see that we're, we're feeding the kid this and this and this and this. And I think that a lot of people, especially parents, they, ha they, they have to tell themselves some story because they, they, are, they are making decisions about what the kid is going to eat, right? And so the kid, kid is, is a little bit temporarily happier because the kid gets a cupcake or the kid gets a Twinkie or the kid gets a, a cream pie or ice cream or whatever, and, or the kid gets a lot of meat and just, just again 
feeding feeding each other and feeding our family members almost for entertainment, almost for fun, almost for enjoyment, for taste. And and then you think, well, where is that narrative in the head as to it's my job to bring a healthy to 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 to, to breathe a, bring a healthy kid. I have a friend named Ian Robbins and he's always on Facebook and he's a really good He's a he's a good good cook and chef. He travels the world and he's really good with the particularly with the aesthetic. And he does I I don't know if he's vegetarian, but I know he's overwhelmingly plant-based and almost all the dishes that I've seen, maybe all of them are plant-based. Name's Ian Robbins if anybody out there. I don't know. Friend him on Facebook. He, when we went to high school together, we wrestled together. He's a phenomenal wrestler in high school. But he does some great like culinary masterpieces on Facebook. And he always has his kids where he'll show them in the garden or he'll show them with you know make they're washing the food they're preparing the food and he's teaching them at a young age this healthy living to interact with the food to prepare the food to grow the food right to create an aesthetic around the food and when you contrast that and i'm not trying to guilt again most people who will be listening who are my friends i love you you are superior to me at many things i love you love you love you but i am just addressing something that is important this is a national this is an international issue which is what are we feeding our kids and what is the narrative that we tell ourselves right including me because i'm not perfect even though i eat that way i'm divorced and so my ex-wife even though she meets me she compromises on certain things i don't get everything i want my kid is not eating everything i want to eat you know my kid cuts corners too but it's it's a battle that most that the vast majority of parents are going to have which is what am I feeding my child? What am I teaching them about nutrition? What are the implications for them health-wise, longer term, right? If we're giving our kids sodas and whatever. And, you know, here in America, we have, a, we have an obesity problem even with the kids and, and with the adults too, you know. And so it's, but it's interesting because there has to be a narrative there. Nobody would, everybody, a lot of people intentionally love their kids. So no one's intentionally feeding their kid sugar 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 junk 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 right there is a there has to be a corresponding narrative or a or a or you bury they bury some part of their brain that says it's okay to feed my kid meat every day it's okay to give them cakes all the time because they're happier that way and they know I love them and they're satisfied right and really Claude, what we're really talking about at the end of the day, part of what we're talking about, there's always subplots, is short-term instant gratification versus long-term gratification. But the thing that I run into with people, including clients, is a lot of people are like, well, I could die tomorrow or I don't really want to be 75 or 80 because there's the assumption that that's going to suck and they're going to lose their brain faculties and they're going to have dementia and senility or Alzheimer's. And so... Even that cell of, you know, you and I saying, listen, for long term, you know, it, it, it's no it's a no brainer over the long term. You're going to have way better odds to live a long life, have mind clarity, better hormones, better energy levels, better sex drive, better everything. But we're competing against the right here, right now, which which, again, normally I'm preaching right here, right now, right here, right now. But in this case, I'm saying right here, right now. You know, sugar, processed sugar, processed foods can't win. All that meat, day in day out, can't win. And there, and there has to be a a I don't know, you know. But then, then I'm sounding like a hypocrite because I do preach right here, right now, living in the present a lot. But then that's the duality. You're 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 inner philosopher too, which is there's a duality there. There's always a 
there's always a paradox a lot of times in truth. But, but I do think that a lot of people are just right here, right now. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be good. This person just bought me a big steak dinner or whatever, whatever. It's delicious. They love me. They feel good about me. Eat, drink, be merry. Um, one final thing I want to say, and then I'm going to give you the stage for five minutes. But a lot of people, even with the, you know, for those of us that come from a Christian background, a lot of people, you know, in, in the Christian tradition, there would be like, you know, in like the prodigal son or when when you're happy, you know, they would sacrifice an animal. So they would eat an animal and, and it was like that was a feast, right? So a real feast biblically was let's sacrifice an animal, cook the animal. And, you know, and back in the day with kings and queens, you would, you know, slaughter the calf or whatever. And then they would, you know, there would be this big feast. But lost in all of that is the fact that these were not everyday things even if you were a king or you're a queen or you were a spiritual leader or you whatever even back then eating meat this was not an everyday or every other day occurrence and not to mention that they were eating much more pristine meat that's a whole nother issue you know that wasn't packaged it wasn't shot with hormones and hgh and antibiotics and and whatever or, or growth hormone and antibiotics but not only was it much more pristine but it wasn't an everyday thing, and it definitely wasn't an everyday thing for most people. Most people were not indulging on that level, right? And once upon a time, you'd have to be pretty wealthy or well-to-do, or just somebody who, you know, you 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 come across an animal every now and again, and you have a feast for a special occasion. But it wasn't an everyday. So again, going back to, I think we've just been spoiled. It's become normal, and no one questions normal. It's just become normal. Let's everyone else is eating. 10 ounces of meat a day or whatever, let's eat, let's just do it every day. It's normal. Everyone does it. Just don't rock the boat. Yeah, there's so much stuff in there, Frank. There's so much, I think, you know, justification for our actions is a big thing because nobody wants to feel bad about what they're doing. And if you know that the change of direction and taking a different path is going to be challenging, and change is always difficult for, for most people, then it's much easier to stay where you are. There's comfort in doing things, even if they're, you know they're the wrong things, because you're familiar with, with, with the wrongness. And so people will justify in all sorts of ways to hang on to that, that comfort. And I see resistance all the time. You know, in the beginning, you know, when I when I started eating vegan and could feel the benefits, and in, and in all fairness, it took a long while mm-hmm. for me to really feel the benefits. But it would have been very easy for me to say, "I'll try it for two weeks and then say, oh, this doesn't work,' and go back to what I was doing." But I, in, always in the back of my mind is that if you try things for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, how do you know at what point? It's going to feel better. It could, and often it is that point where you decide to give up. Is the turning point. How do you know one more day and you wouldn't have felt what you've been searching for? That's why you've got to keep on going. Got to keep on going. The same with training. We all know exercise and lifting weights is good for us. People try for two, three weeks and say, oh, I felt really sore, this didn't work. And they go back to doing nothing. Now, how can doing nothing be better? than exercising your body, it's, it, it's nonsensical. So I was a little bit more evangelical in the early days and then I realized that can put a lot of noses out of joint. You can, you can butt heads with a lot of people and I had that experience that you had where you walk into other people's houses and they feel like 
you're eyeing everything on their shelves and on their plates and and in reality I'm not you know I'm very much let people choose to eat however they want to choose to eat but if you say to me I want to be healthier and if you say to me I want to be fitter and I want to be stronger and I don't I want to uh, avoid getting any kind of diseases or illnesses and you carry on eating McDonald's every day then I might sort of pull you up on that and say hang on a minute your actions are not matching your intentions so it's no, you're never going to get the result you want never going to get the result you want living in that way so and you know going back to the living in the moment I understand what you were saying about you have to kind of have the foresight to see what's going to happen if you carry on your current trajectory if you're eating bad stuff but at the same time the here and the now is all we do have everything happens in the here and now you know that so there is only one time which is the here and now everything in the future is going to be in the here and now and everything in the past was in the here and now that is all there is it's the here and now so we can't actually avoid being in the here and now it's the most important it's the only time. <laughs> yeah, what I love, and by the way, this is not an advertisement if for any of my friends or listeners out there. Um, in my case, uh, I, you know, I'm not a, I, I wouldn't consider myself a vegan or a vegetarian or any of those labels. I will go 2020 without eating any meat. I may, uh, I may use an egg or two for a pancake. I have not done that yet. So, so far we're almost four months in. We haven't done any animal products, no fish. Um, but we may. And so that's why I don't use that label. I would say 99 point whatever percent, I would say strict and optimal um, vegan. But I don't like the label because there's so much that conjured up with it, which is sort of dogmatic, right? This is dogma. And, and I don't mind, for my friends that eat meat, I ate meat most of my life, so it would be hypocritical of me to say, hey, you shouldn't be eating meat. Well, I enjoyed meat for, you know, 40-some years of my life. And I, so I've went, just like Claude was saying, I have went in the last eight, nine years, I have experimented with exclusively plant-based for stretches for months and months and months. Um, I have seen incredible benefits of that. Um, and the thing I would just encourage people is to say, for 99% of you at least, there may be an exceptional people that just genetically can eat whatever and they're just phenomenally healthy. But for most people, um, I would just encourage them to take a look and say, hey, can, you know, how much meat am I eating? What's in the meat? And how do I manage that better, right? Even if it's just a reduction, I'm just speaking to your higher self and saying, can you look at, do you know what's in your meat? Is all that meat good for you? What is it? What is the conversation that has with your body? And do you have? Do you have? Are you as healthy as you want to be? And are you? Would you be willing to reduce that meat? I'm just saying that that I'm encouraging my friends to have that conversation with themselves. That's that's as far as I go with that right now. As far as being in the present, and like you said, and all we have is the present, and and the fact that things you know things can take time, right? You don't always feel. I remember when I when I experimented with high fat. Now I don't want to call it keto because 
it wasn't keto because I feel like a lot, again, same thing with the a lot of vegans and vegetarians. I don't think their diets are healthier. They may be lesser of evil diets. They may be healthier than a lot of the, the average meat diet, right? The average vegan diet may be a lot healthier than the average meat eating diet. I don't dispute that. I'm not here to dispute that. But in general, by and large, a lot of the vegan, vegetarian, the, the, and even and the keto, they don't meet my standard, right? When we, you and I talk about the pursuit of excellence and, and optimizing things, a lot of people are lazy with their standards, right? And, and I always say, you are your standards. So for me, when I was experimenting with the high fat, before the whole keto craze, by the way, I got in on that. I, I could see it a couple years in advance, and I was playing with that. And I saw the, you know, the, probably the best weight cut I ever had um, was on high fat. It was phenomenal for me as an athlete. And I told other athletes, and I even had a world champion that I worked with a little bit, and, and he had some pretty good results with it. And, but the thing was, there were pockets, both for the world champion that I was consulting and for me, there were pockets that were a little bit, you sort of hit a wall a little bit. There, were, there are pockets there, and you have to work through them because if you dramatically cut, if your body is used to running on the sugars and the processed sugars and the added sugars, and you just take that away, the body has not converted. It is not used to this, hey, you're asking me to run all fat, and just it just works like the next day, like, hey, I'm used to running on It doesn't work like that. It is, and everyone's different, right? So it can take you a month, two months, three months to troubleshoot and figure that out. And But again, as you and I were saying, most people will quit. They'll just say, oh my goodness, I don't feel what they call, I guess, the keto flu. I don't feel as good, you know, whatever. By the way, my recovery on high fat too, uh, it's plant-based. When I went, the, the more I go 99% plant-based, recovery is way better, cardio is way better. And with the high fat, healthy high fat, very discriminating with those fats, recovery was up too, the weight cut was easier. But again, you have to know what you're doing and you have to play around with it and you have to be, like you and I are talking about, committed and persistent and work through the trouble areas because there will be. And one metaphor that I want to use for people to drive home this point of like basically what Claude is saying, people quitting too soon. They're quitting before the big results can kick in, the big benefits can kick in, right? And I remember when I started doing yoga, I started doing yoga back in uh, 2002, so that was 18 years ago. And I have a titanium plate in my neck. Of course, I grew up wrestling, trained in a lot of boxing and, and some mixed martial arts sparring, got a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. One of the things I have is a titanium plate C6, C7 in the neck. And so my neck was on fire. Claude and I are both journalists. I was, you know, every day I would type back then, my neck would be on fire. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I don't want to be addicted to prescription drugs. What am I going to do? So back then, this is 18 years ago, there were hardly any guys in the yoga classes. Hardly any. I mean, I'd go to a yoga class, there'd be 25 women, two or three guys in almost every yoga class, right? If you saw five guys in a yoga class back then, and these were big classes, 25, 30, 32 people. If you saw five guys in a yoga class here in America, that was a lot of guys. That was a big turnout, right? That's changed now, partly because guys know that there's women in yoga and that there's women, you know, dressed in certain ways and that and they want to be in that class. That's part of it. But anyway, when I first started going to yoga, right? So my neck is hurting. I'm having shooting pains down in my hands, down in my elbows. And so when I first started going... I didn't see immediate improvement. No way. Not even close. Even in the in the first few weeks, I was like, you know what? It actually bothered me a little bit more because now you're working muscles you haven't worked and you're irritating things. I just kept going on faith, on commitment. 
because I had heard I had heard other people that I trusted, and like you were saying earlier, Claude, I was open because conventional medicine, yes, it, it was a good surgery, but now I was still having a lot of pain. I'm like, what's my next step? Prescription drugs, right? So I'm like, there's not a solution there. So I got to go off the beaten path. To me, yoga was I was this macho tough, you know, tough guy. And like, what am I doing in a yoga class? Right. It, it wasn't cool. It wasn't alpha to be in, be doing yoga. Right. So, but I'm in there, I'm thinking some people that I trusted who know better, who had spinal issues said, listen, that yoga will help you keep going. And I just, I listened to him. I said, you know what? You're going to go. I mean, I can't sit here and tell you that I saw any big improvement in the first, I saw improved flexibility. But my pain did not go away like, okay, week three, week four. My pain did not go away. Over time, I would say over months, over a three, four, five, six-month period, 12-month period, dramatic results. Dramatic, right? And But I stayed, to your point, I stayed so the benefits could kick in. And, I, and the other thing was I didn't have a choice because I was like, are you going to be on prescription drugs, which just isn't my – that's not my jam? Or – this, so it's almost like you have no choice. Like you, you have to figure this out with yoga, right? And, and there's a bunch of different poses. So even, even people saying I'm not getting the results, there's a bunch of different styles of yoga to just go and say, it would be like somebody going to plant-based and it's like, you know, and saying, well, that doesn't work, whatever. It's like, you know how many foods there are, how many food possibilities there are? Say, hey, vegan, vegetarian, or plant-based tastes terrible. What? Do you realize how many different spices there are, how many fruits there are, how many vegetables, how many grains, how many different combinations? It's preposterous to say that it doesn't t- taste good. It's, it's a lack of imagination that would say that because there's so many variables, just like in a yoga mat. There's so many different poses. You say, well, that, those poses didn't work for me at this time, but maybe there's another series or maybe if you exert a little less and you don't push it as hard, maybe that's where you get the benefits, right? So there's just so many variables and people just... Eh, a blanket response, you know, that's no good for me. That's no good. And it's like, Hey, there's a, there's a, there's thousands of ways. There's thousands of different expressions of plant-based. There's thousands of different. Almost says something about their commitment to succeed. Cause if you, if you're prepared to give up that quickly, then your commitment to succeed is not that great. If you want to be good at weightlifting and you try it for two weeks and you give up, you haven't got a commitment to succeed. You'll do it for years until you get it right. When I learned how to swing a kettlebell, I was committed to succeed, and it took me years. Made loads of mistakes, but I didn't give up after two weeks because my commitment was to succeed. No matter how long it took and how many paths I had to go down, that was my intention. And I think we live in a we live in a culture and in a world where everybody wants and everybody's got used to things being instant. Everything is instant now. And so that's, that filters down to our lifestyles and it comes down to our discipline that when we are practicing for something and when we're trying to learn something, we want to master it in two weeks. You can't master anything in two weeks. You can't master anything full stop. You can keep practicing and get better and better and better, but people want instant solutions. And, and, and when you were talking now, I, it was interesting that you brought up prescription drugs because that shows the difference between English culture and, or British culture and American. You never, people just don't, in, in the UK, just don't really talk about prescription drugs. But I know it's 
having been to America a lot, it's it's culturally a huge thing. And I and you know all the times I've been to Vegas, I was blown away by the amount of drugstores on every block. Every block. Yeah. How can there be a drugstore on every block? How how do they even make money to be on every block? So that either means there's a lot of people on prescription drugs, or people can't be bothered to walk across the street. So you go to your nearest drugstore. I, you know, I just couldn't fathom it, but it's always like the first port of, port of call is what drugs can I take, rather than how can I fix this, or what exercises can I do to make this better, because that's going to be often perceived as a longer solution. People don't want long-term solutions. They want immediate fixes. And it just doesn't... A, it doesn't really happen that way, and B, it's often not the best way to heal the problem. Because sometimes when you spend a lot of time trying to fix something, you learn a lot in that process. And if you miss out on that process, then you haven't really gained anything from it. Yeah, the, you, you made me think of two things. Remind me that I... So America, this is as of a couple years ago. America is roughly 4% of the world's population, and it is roughly 45% of all the prescription drug sales. Alarming. That, that should send off alarm bells uh, for anybody who hears that stat. I mean, it's just, it's a mentality. I call it the magic pill mentality. You've heard me talk about that a lot. Um, and I say we can't magic pill our way or, you know, more prescri- or pill. I say, you know, more apples, less needles, right? More, you know, more mangoes, less pills or whatever, right? The other thing you were saying, though, which is fascinating, and, and, and you made me think of this, and it's so true. When you think of the present, because you're right, I mean, a lot of people's problems would go away if they just lived in the present and stopped, you know, the, 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 the living in the past and the hurts and the this and then the, the anxiety of the future. If they lived right here, every day would be a new day. Every day is a new chapter. You know, you can write, it's, every day is a whiteboard. You can write new things on it. And so it's clear that if you want to win... All you've got is today, and you've got that story that you're going to write today, and you plan it out, and you, you plan the work, you work the plan. But the interesting thing is because when I, part of my thing to clients and to friends is, it's look, it is, it does have a futuristic look. Look, you can age better. In 20 years, you'll be here. You'll go to your kid's graduation. You know, you'll see your kid get married. Your faculties will work. You'll have more time to, you know, to write your books, whatever, whatever, whatever. You'll be able to enjoy life. There, there is a futuristic long-term perspective there for a lot of what I do. However, and you, you triggered this in my brain, the, the magnificence of the presence, because we can, also, we can also support the present, right? We can say, look, hey, Frank, why is that salad right here, right now, 20, 25 ingredients, that salad and those fruits, those fruits as well, that incredible salad you're about to make, why is that a better decision than the, than the, than the double cheeseburger with these fries and, you know, and, 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 and all the chemical dressing, whatever, and the soda, right? Why is that a better decision? Because if we're just living for right now, my friend says, look, this is, 10, this is 100 times better, it tastes better. But I could argue also in the present, and I'm arguing sincerely, that when you make good decisions right here, right now for the food, the intention of the moment, because you, you mentioned intention earlier, we're both big on that word intention. 
The intention of the moment is so much purer, so much higher, so much greater in, in, in terms of self-love, in terms of honoring yourself, it is in terms of respect for yourself, in terms of your exercising your discipline, your power, your awareness. So many things are exercised in the present moment to eat that salad than to eat the the Big Mac, which you could argue, which is really a show of weakness a lot of times. It's not a show of strength. It's not a show of higher or really good intention. It, it doesn't come from a place of like the highest vibration. I mean, most people are going to eat that. And if they have any, any conscience whatsoever, they're going to regret it within 20, 30, 45 minutes, right? If they have any awareness whatsoever as to like a higher intention for themselves, right? So it is interesting in the duality of it, you can satisfy both the prism that I, you know, I'm looking at, hey, I want to be better in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I want my faculties to work. I don't, I want to have my best odds against to try and prevent Alzheimer's, dementia, etc., autoimmune diseases, all these things people coming down. Yes, I have a long-term perspective. I'm trying to, you know, an, uh, an ounce of prevention, a pound of cure. I'm thinking of that. However, in the present, it, you can also win in the present because it's like, Clark, when people go to your gym, if they go in that gym, they may go with dread sometimes, right? Some of the people even that are committed, they, they show up with dread. It's just disciplines. Oh, I don't feel like going. They're driving over. They're having the conversation. But they go, and when they're done, nine times out of ten, maybe, maybe 99 out of 100, they are happy that they went. It was the right decision in the present, and they have honored themselves. They have expressed a higher intention. They're, they're, they're basically they're setting an example for their kids, for whoever else they're with. So it is a win. It, you, you, you triggered that in me. It is absolutely a win in the present, too. I think you touched on something really interesting there, which is about how people feel about themselves. So if, you, if you're eating a hamburger or a cheeseburger or something that's loaded with bad fats and loaded with sugar, how often is the connection made between how you feel about yourself and what you are putting in your body. So I don't think anyone consciously thinks, I'm feeling bad about myself, I'm going to put this, right. this bad stuff in my body. But I think that when people do feel down and they have not enough respect for themselves, they do go down the I'm going to abuse path. And I think the bad diet is symptomatic of how a lot of people are feeling. You know, antidepressant drugs are very, very, they're very big in America, right? Huge. Huge. If people are feeling that way, that's, a, that's an indication they don't feel good about themselves. So it's no surprise then that people are eating a bad diet. Yeah. Because it's almost like they're punishing themselves for how they feel. But they don't realize that the actual change in the diet to a healthy diet right. can reverse that whole process. And it's, it's and it, and and the, the very act itself is a step in is is positive steps in that direction because you're saying yeah. that meal becomes a statement. That meal becomes a statement of I love myself, I honor myself, I respect myself, I exactly. I have power, I have discipline, I have dignity, I value and honor myself, I love myself. And that meal becomes a statement. But again, 
unfortunately, including me for most of my life, a lot of us aren't making that connection. It's just it, one has nothing to do with the other. People don't make, as you were saying, they don't make that association between their mental state of mind, feeling bad, feeling depressed, feeling down, and, um, and, and what they're eating. This, we could go on forever. We're going to cover a little more ground. But this, this is really the important stuff because when you look, when I work with, with clients you know, for the nutrition, right, Fujitsu and Forza Fit, and the one thing that I found is most of it is mental. I mean, you know, it, 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 these are most people. Now, again, I'm always amazed at how many people think that they know, oh, I know what healthy is, right? I've run into those people all the time. Oh, I know how to eat healthy and, and I'll do it when, you know, whatever. And they have, they, that's their mindset, right? Oh, you're, you're posting your healthy food. I already know that. And, you know, and, and, and so they already know that. And when they get around to it, they're going to do it, right? I, I come into that a lot. The reality is, uh, Again, unless you're just eating exclusively fruits and vegetables, most people don't know what if they're walking around a lot of aisles and buying stuff. They don't know what what real food is. They don't know what healthy is because a lot of people do kind of think, well, if I'm eating, for instance, that chicken, rice, and just steamed broccoli and some tortillas, then that's healthy. That's healthy for a lot of people, right? I, like I've got some some flour tortillas here. There's no fat in that. I've got boneless, skinless chicken breast. I've got the, the, the broccoli that's been cooked 30 minutes, you know, too long and cooked all the nutrients out of it. I've got some r white rice that, that, you know, we, we seasoned a little bit with it and now I'm healthy, right? And it's like, there, the, the, you know, there's, there's not a lot of nutritional density in there. So anyway, and then people have, you know, sort of the iceberg lettuce with a few, you know, a few tomatoes on it and some cream cheese and some onions and then, you know, some, a bunch of meat on that or shrimp on that. And then that's healthy, right? And the people, I don't know what's healthy. And like, well, I hate to bust your bubble, but that's actually not going to make the cut over what I'm doing. But the other big thing, so one is none of us, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. A lot of people think they know what healthy is, and they don't. It's boneless, skinless, or the, they get sucked in by the advertising, right? The advertising says non-GMO. Well, I just bought a snack. It says non-GMO, half the calories. They think that's healthy, right? That's healthy for a lot of people. But the other battle they're losing is in their brain. That's a key battle, is that they, hey, Frank, I want to, or Claude, I want to do that, but to be honest with you, I'm just not disciplined enough, I'm not strong enough, I love food too much, or there, it, it, the, the food becomes, because this is something we should talk about now, the fact that, so 1%, I don't know about in Britain, but like roughly 1% of the farmland here in America is organic, okay, so only like 1%, and then I think the last I looked, there's like roughly 5% uh, vegan, vegetarian at any time, you know, like 99% are exclusively plant-based. So it's very rare. So what that makes you when you go to the dinner table, when you go to your friend's house, that makes you an outcast. When you're the, when you're the strict eater, when you're the conscientious or what I call the enlightened eater, you're the outcast, right? So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, how do you navigate that when you go? Is it, is, is, is everybody respectful of that? Does that, you know, people whisper about that? How have how have you, how do you navigate that so that, you know, you still have really good relations, these are people you care about, but so that you're not just an oddball, how do you navigate that, your eating habits, when the reality is probably 95% of people around you are not into that, so how do you navigate that in social situations, at family dinners? I think in the early days, when I was a bit more outspoken about it, um, it was more problematic because people felt like you were trying to convert them. And now 
I don't even talk about it. And to me, I don't even, I'm not even conscious or aware that I'm eating something different when I mm -hmm. go out and I socialize. Maybe that's because most people by now know that I eat a certain way. But even when I socialize with people who don't know me, I don't make a big song and dance about it, but I'm happy to, I'm happy to field the questions. Because for me, you have to be, if you know why you're doing it, you know why you're eating the way you're eating, you, you then don't have any hesitation in, ask, in answering the questions. So I'm, I welcome that because for me it's, it's, it's about opening up a debate and it's opening up someone else's mind to another way of doing things and another way of eating. And then they might get curious about it and ask, ask questions themselves. Now, if I'm really dogmatic about it, they're probably going to be put off by the fact that I'm really dogmatic. And therefore, the opportunity to maybe help someone go down a path which is likely to be better for their health, but it's better, it's better on all fronts, it's better for the planet, it's better for everybody. I don't think you can argue against that. So the opportunity to have a positive impact in that moment will be lost if I'm too dogmatic. So I'm pretty gentle about it. And I usually just say to people, you know, you just start with one thing. Just start with one simple thing. Even if it's just to have more veg on your plate with each meal, it's a step in the right direction. Because again, it's about progress and not perfection. And that would be progress. And then over time, we're going to get, A, you're going to enjoy the food better, but you'll be move, moving closer and closer towards a more optimally healthy diet. Yeah, that, that's been a big one. So when I look at my core values and my core philosophies, a big one is what I would call addition by subtraction. That's a big one. It's not always these dramatic sweeping changes we're going to make because a lot of times that sets people up to be overwhelmed and then they don't sustain it. Um, but it's just, well, what can we start subtracting, right? We can look at the obvious things like sodas and some of the, you know, the dressings on the salads or obviously I would say meat intake. You, you touched on something as well, and, and I've had to learn this in, in my teaching style over the years, both in grappling, both in the martial arts, and now with the mind jitsu and the food jitsu coaching, and that is that we, we have to make sure that we come from a real pure place, right? We, we have to make sure that we're coming, when, 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 when we are, you know, having these conversations with people, that it's not holier than thou, that it's coming from a pure place, it's coming from a place that wants to genuinely help people that genuinely wants to see people become a better version of themselves, that wants a better world. Because, again, I don't want it to be the case. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a contrarian and walk into every room and be like, oh, he's, did you know that he's different on this, 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 this? I would, I, I would just assume, you know, hey, let's walk in the room and there's complete harmony and we agree on a lot of these high-functioning things. But as it happens, you know... I am a, you know, you know me well enough, at least to know, Claude, that I am a strong personality. So I'm not afraid to be, you know, to stand out and be like, I believe in this. But what I've tried to learn is how to um, soften the blow and come from a pure space and, and really care about people and really share what I've learned. Because again, a lot of the, a lot of the, for a lot of the, 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 I guess I'd say the public and a lot of people and, and people that I know, I have been them for most of my life. So I, I did the same things. I ate the same things. I thought exactly the same way. 
And I'm not saying, hey, be like me. I'm just inviting people to say, listen, you know, have this conversation. Put things under a microscope. Ask the, ask, start asking more questions. I, I encourage people not what to think. Not, I'm sorry, not, not, not what to think, but how to think, right? Maybe how to think more quickly. I would at least say that. If I am dogmatic about anything, it is not what to think. It is not my platform. It is not that I am right because I will change my mind on certain things. I'm open-minded as you are. There's a lot we don't know in the nutrition and fitness space. There's a ton we don't know, and we're going to change our minds. But the, we're talking about the best that we know now. We're coming from a pure space. And I'm just saying that, you know, I would just encourage people, though, not what to think, but how, but how to think. And I think that that's very hard for a lot of people because we've sort of been conditioned. We go through life and we just get used to everything we see in the mainstream and the mainstream advertising and the commercials and the, you know, the movies. And then that, be, that sort of conditions people to sort of have this tunnel vision to see things a certain way. And then when you risk genuinely, I think that's one of the beauties of being a journalist is this curiosity and this, this seeking, you know, the, 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 the deep seeker where you're, you're not afraid to put things under a microscope and you're not afraid to challenge yourself and say, Frank, you could be wrong about this, right? You th- you're, I, was a, I was so strong when I was eating a lot of meat, you know, Claude. So I could sit here and be like, look, I was lifting all these weights. I was doing crazy amounts of dips, crazy amounts of pull-ups. I was so strong for 167 pounds eating any and everything, whey protein shakes, you know, tons of meat. And, I, and, you know, tons of pasta, and I was really strong, had big neck muscles and everything, bigger legs. But the reality is, is that that was that I, I personally don't consider that sustainable. And when I started to put more things under the microscope and dig into more scientific literature and test things for myself, I started to say, yeah, Frank, you could be bigger and more muscular. I could gain 30 pounds, Clark, and be bigger and more muscular and... Maybe people would be like, wow, he's gotten thick. You're looking good. You're looking, you know, maybe more women. Oh, he's cute. He's buff, whatever. But the reality is, did I feel healthier? Was I having the, 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 did I feel like I was having the maximum attentions, the maximum optimization? Like when you start checking healthy boxes and the pros and cons, when I start checking boxes, it's just a no brainer. Like you and I are saying, just for me, it's a no brainer that I need to go, and, and I need to go even deeper with fruits and veggies, by the way. I eat really healthy. I, I'm nowhere near where I, prob- where I feel like I need to be. I feel like I can do better. I feel like I'm still too much of a slave to sugar, still. And I'm too much of a slave to some carbs, and I still overeat, and I still eat later than I probably should, and I still could fast more, and I still could be better at my sleeping habits, you know, which sometimes are a little inconsistent. So I, I am, you know, I am a work in progress but I would just say to everybody, are you getting the results you're getting? Are you getting the results you want? And are you ready to challenge yourself and start asking more questions and, and maybe learn for all of us, how do, I think, how do I think at a higher level, at a higher level of awareness, at a higher level of consciousness? Because I think there is an association there, I would say, as I've become more awakened, I look at my plate more and I'm like, yeah, why, are you, why did you eat that? Why did you eat that? And it's just a correlation between your state of mind and like a spiritual awakening or whatever. And well, why did you eat? 
what are you doing or why did you do that or why did you wake up at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. when you know not not because you needed it but just because you just you did right like 